It's Monday, April 12th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The scandal surrounding Florida Representative Matt Gates continues with more twists and turns. There is currently a DOJ investigation against him, and now the House Ethics Committee will also be looking into him. In the meantime, Joel Greenberg, an associate of Gates, who is the reason why the whole investigation kicked off and is also facing charges of his own, is rumored to be close to a plea deal, which could pose more problems for Gates. Former President Trump also surfaced over the weekend to blast Mitch McConnell, and many are questioning the role that Vice President Kamala Harris is playing when it comes to immigration. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News, joins us to break it all down. Next, the post-pandemic beauty boom is here as people are ready to emerge from the pandemic and be seen in person again. No more hiding behind Zoom calls, the demand for beauty services is roaring back, and it's not just the regular color and cut. People are signing up for all that they can. Businesses that offer cosmetic injectables and other skincare services are projecting their busiest summer yet and are even considering expanding locations. Amanda Mull, staff writer at The Atlantic, joins us for why America is about to go Botox wild. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I may be a canceled man in some corners. I may even be a wanted man by the deep state. But I hear the millions of Americans who feel forgotten, canceled, ignored, marginalized, and targeted. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. The scandal surrounding Florida Representative Matt Gates continues, and you know it keeps taking all these twists and turns. The latest that we're hearing is that the House Ethics Committee will be investigating him. We also learn about an associate of Gates. His name is Joel Greenberg, who was really the reason that the whole investigation into Gates started. He is uh, trying to strike a plea deal, which uh, could look pretty bad for Matt Gates if he does. They're kind of uh, both looped into this whole thing together. Uh, Joel Greenberg, for his part, he's got like 33 federal charges of sex trafficking, bribery and fraud. And, and for Matt Gates, as we know, you know, the allegations are that he had sex with a 17 year old and possibly paid for her to travel across state lines. So it's not looking very good for Matt Gates. This is one of those uh, scandals that doesn't appear to have an end in sight, particularly because Matt Gates has continued to insist that he did nothing wrong and that he won't resign. We saw on Friday the first Republican member of the House calling for him to resign, Adam Kinzinger, who said that the accusations that he was facing were numerous enough that he should probably step aside. But we understand that he is being investigated, an investigation that started under the Trump Department of Justice. So when Republicans still controlled sort of the levers of government and that he has repeatedly insisted he did nothing wrong, but that he, along with this, you mentioned Joel Greenberg, who appeared to have been a friend of his, that they were paying women uh, or having women who may not have been of legal age in one state, but were in another to travel to another state with them. So the, the accusations are pretty clear. And I, and I think that you're right. The Greenberg plea deal could be very problematic for Matt Gates. Prosecutors don't tend to accept plea deals unless they're getting something else, unless you know there's something to be had for them. And there's a lot of speculation that that's something else for them would be information about Gates. Yeah. And Gates, for his part, has not been charged with a crime just yet. For Joel Greenberg, he has until May 15th to make a plea deal. But 
you know, he's in, in hot water, obviously way more than Matt Gates is. So for him to cut a deal, he's probably trying pretty hard to do that to lessen whatever type of sentence he might get out of this. And, and, and a little bit more on kind of their connection, Gates and Greenberg. The Daily Beast had a story in which Gates was paying Greenberg money on Venmo. And then in turn, Greenberg would pay various different women money amounting in the same sum that Gates paid him. And this is all going on Venmo. So they were able to obtain some records. And this is kind of how they're making the connection. They paid these women and said it was uh, tuition or for school, things like that. Yeah, I think the lesson here is if you're going to do something that is questionable or just flat out illegal, probably not best to do it on Venmo because (laughs) it keeps a receipt. You know, NBC has not verified the Daily Beast reporting, so I can't speak to whether or not this is accurate. But I can say that we did verify this Department of Justice investigation that they're looking into whether he traveled to the Bahamas with one of these women um, and uh, an investigation that he's denied as saying it was you know, a vacation, a consensual vacation with people. You know, he's defended himself saying he's a member of Congress, not a monk. But I I have a feeling we're not at the end of hearing really sort of salacious uh, details about this uh, as it continues to unfold. Definitely. A lot lot more to go on that one. Over the weekend, we also saw President Trump surface. Uh, He was uh, at Mar-a-Lago. There was a Republican donor event happening there. But he went off uh, on Mitch McConnell, calling him an SOB, called him a loser, talking crap about Dr. Anthony Fauci, saying he needed more uh, credit for the pandemic. It was uh, classic Trump really there, it seemed like. Yeah, you know, this is just another example where we see that the former president is not going to go quietly away after having lost the election. This is just more evidence that he still feels that he was wronged. We understand that he repeatedly told donors at this event that uh, he had, in fact, won the election, um, which we know is not true. Sort of repeating this this falsehood about what happened at the election. And, and you talked about Mitch McConnell. We saw McConnell, who voted not to impeach Trump, but did give this really scathing floor speech afterwards, uh, suggesting he thought that maybe Trump should be criminally held liable for what happened on the January 6th riot. And Trump clearly heard him because we understand that he said that he was, uh, you know, called, you described some of the names he called them, was really critical of them. And I think we're going to see likely in the next year, as we get closer to the midterms, um, a fight possibly between the McConnells of the world who want to hold control of the Senate, who want to have their people on the ballot in the midterms, and Trump, who's trying to continue uh, to exert a lot of force in the Republican Party. How big is that divide right now? Because the former president is still very popular among Republican voters. We're seeing a lot more of the Republican leadership, you know, push back on him a little bit. But, you know, there's a lot of other uh, members of Congress that are still firmly in the president's corner. Uh, How big is that divide right now? I think it's going to be tested how far apart they can get. I mean, you talk about someone like Matt Gates, who's just been a diligent defender of the president, former president, and did things like travel to Wyoming to try to whip up opposition to the Republican lawmaker there, Liz Cheney, because she voted for impeachment. I think we're going to see that relationship within the party continue to be tested. Right now, we're still seeing a Republican Party that's very much confused and unsure about what it stands for and what it's going to do next. On to immigration, the crisis at the border continues there. We're seeing increasing number of migrants and unaccompanied minors coming every day. Vice President Kamala Harris was put in charge of dealing with this for the administration, but many have been questioning 
what she's actually doing. The White House has had to clarify multiple times that she's focused kind of on the root cause of migration. This coming from the Central American countries there, the Northern Triangle, they call it, not necessarily what's happening at the border. Everybody's concentrated at what's happening at the border, and they're not seeing action from her there. So it's kind of been a messy rollout for her in her big in her first big policy assignment. Yeah, you know, a lot of people who watch White Houses closely were surprised that she's gone this long without having a portfolio that's just hers. And they've continued to insist that this is because she's a full partner with Biden in everything that they do. But a vice president really does need something that's theirs that they can sort of tout. And the first thing that she's given has sort of become more of an issue of her trying to distance herself from it. We heard her staff repeatedly insist that she wasn't in charge of the border, that she's in charge of you know high-level international relationships with the countries in Central America that are having these immigrants from them come from them. And and Republicans in turn have tried to sort of hang the the border situation or crisis or whatever you want to call it around her and make it politically her problem because they've felt that their voters are motivated by talking about the border, as we saw Trump talk about the border so much for so long. And they think that no matter what happens uh, in the coming weeks and months and even years, that it's going to be unacceptable for some people. And so they're really trying to make this look like it's her problem right. so that she owns it. And, and it's really been a, a disastrous sort of rollout of a responsibility. And it's tough because they are all intertwined. I mean, you you know, yeah, you can address the root cause, but the immediate problem also is all these kids that are coming over and, you know, spending days in these uh, in these centers. So they're all connected. Uh, you know, for her part, they said that she's, uh, uh, you know, doing meetings with experts. She's uh, doing work behind the scenes. She's had calls with the Mexican and Guatemalan presidents. And then there could be some type of trip to that region pretty soon. But the border response, uh, at least according to the White House, is the job of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas and Health and Human Services Secretary Javier Becerra. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I think that there is a very real desire among people to just take a little bit of control over how they re-enter the world to yeah. treat themselves a little bit if they have the resources to do it, to just like do something that makes them feel happy and makes them feel comforted. Joining us now is Amanda Mull, staff writer at The Atlantic. Thanks for joining us, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. Amanda, I always love reading your articles. And uh, this one, the headline struck me right away. And so I had to read it. America is about to go Botox wild. So that caught me right away. And then I started reading into it. And you know, a lot of this uh, rings very true. You know, millions of Americans are starting to get vaccinated every day. And you mentioned that the beauty industry is poised for an unprecedented summer boom. We're preparing from this world of Zoom or just staying at home, not seeing many people hiding our faces behind masks to this world where we're going to be seen by people. This regular part of human experience is going to come back up and not behind these computer screens and not behind these masks and we want to look our best. And uh, a lot of places are already seeing increased bookings, procedures, uh, Botox, haircuts, everything. The beauty industry is kind of going to become roaring back on all of this. So, Amanda, tell us a little bit about why you wrote this. I got the idea for this because a couple of weeks ago, after I had had my first shot of the vaccine, it was a 
Friday night, I think. It was too cold outside to do anything here in New York. And I was sort of like lying on my couch watching HBO Max or something like that. And just, I guess, processing the fact that in a few weeks, I will be able to do things like reasonably safely that I haven't been able to do in over a year. And what do I want to do? Like, what are my options? What are the things that would be fun, that would be comforting, that would make me feel good about moving into the future, I suppose. And I realized that like over the course of the past year, occasionally I had had these thoughts here and there about like, maybe when the pandemic ends and I can do it again, I will cut all my hair off. Maybe I will try a new color. Maybe I will start getting fake nails again. I stopped a couple of years ago. Maybe I will try some lip filler for the first time. I have never had anything done to my face, but like maybe now is the time. Just like all of these services that require an expert, that require going to someplace and sitting in really close proximity with somebody for a reasonably long period of time to have an expert do something and then you emerge changed in some way, even if it's usually just for a little while. Like all of that sounded just really fun to me and like a set of possibilities I wanted to explore or at least sort of look into a little bit and see what I could do. And I tweeted something about it, just a sort of like little joke about wanting lip filler because it struck me as as such a ridiculous thing to be thinking about after receiving my first of this miraculous set of vaccinations that has been developed to (laughs) solve this worldwide problem. So I tweeted a little bit of a self-deprecating joke about it, and I got all these responses from people who were like, this is the light at the end of the tunnel for me. I just want a massage. I just want to be able to get a pedicure again. I just want to get my first haircut in a year. So it seemed like a lot of people were really craving these like little indulgences and luxuries, the things that sort of got completely wiped off the face of the earth. Psychologically, almost everybody is a little different than they were then when the pandemic started. Everything shut down. We were at home for long stretches of time. We've talked about this before, about these categories of friends that you lost, these acquaintances that are no longer there. You know, all this stuff is coming back and we're different people. And as you mentioned, you know, you might want your appearance to be different. You want to look good. Uh, I think you said something about Americans are ready to be hot again and and start going out. So that's the next thing. So tell me a little bit about, you know, some of these uh, services that kind of track these bookings in, in the beauty industry and how that's been going up because we're seeing the numbers there already. People are going out, getting these services, but they're not just doing the one off, you know, the haircut or the Botox. Maybe they're going and they're doing everything all at once. The beauty industry is a little bit hard to track because so many of the types of businesses that offer these services, salons, nail places, spas, things like that are small or independent businesses. So I found a company called Gloss Genius, which is a software platform that manages online bookings and payments for tens of thousands of beauty businesses across the country. And they were able to go into their data and look and see like what the trends had been over the past year, how things had fallen off, where it had come back, when, why, and then what people are, have been doing now since the first of the year when in a period when we've had some optimism about vaccines and like a, a light at the end of the tunnel. And what the head of that company told me is that since January, bookings are up more than 20% overall, like people making appointments have just risen really, really sharply. And that's pretty much across the country and in lots of different types of locations. Tipping is up. People are tipping 15% more. But the most interesting thing that she said was that 
a lot of the average ticket price was also up. So people are spending more money getting more services in one go. Like they're going to the nail salon and not just getting a pedicure, but they're getting everything. And I confirmed this with a couple of couple of providers who are seeing that in their own businesses. And she said that a lot of the growth in ticket price is in people who are booking things that they've never tried before, who are instead of just being like, oh, I want to go back to the hair color I was doing before. I want to go back to the Botox I was doing before. I want to just get the pedicure I used to always get. So it's not just like a nostalgia for our old routines. I think that there is a very real desire among people to just take a little bit of control over how they re-enter the world to yeah. treat themselves a little bit if they have the resources to do it, to just like do something that makes them feel happy and makes them feel comforted. That's a very good point. Kind of this re-entry into that normal world, let's say the re-emergence, because when the pandemic hit, the need for these uh, services didn't go away. You know, people were calling their stylists, their barbers, whatever, saying, can you come and do like a home visit? You know, I, I need to get my haircut. It's been months. And we know that was happening. A lot of us have, you know, did that or when things eased up and, you know, that was one of the first things people did. So the maintenance part of it kind of was always there, but this part of it is different now. You know, now it's kind of, uh, you know, people have likened it to the roaring 2020s. What is this new thing going to be? And as you as you've been mentioning, people kind of want to impress. They want to reinvent themselves if they can. Going through these hard times like this makes you want to make those changes. Over the past year, you are absolutely correct in that demand didn't go away. It's something that that has popped up in my work again and again. And I wrote something about people nervous about losing their beauty services at the beginning of the pandemic. So this feels sort of like a bookend to that. And what was true in, you know, before, as all this was starting and now is that people's identities and their sense of self is expressed through their appearance. So even if you're not seeing anybody, even if you're not trying to adhere to any certain beauty standard, being able to determine things about your appearance and feel like they reflect who you are and who you understand yourself to be is really important for a lot of people's like psychological health, regardless of it reflecting a need to socialize or or to appear a certain way to others. That is just like a really inherent part of human identity. And it has been for all of human history. You find that sense of a need, a needing to adorn oneself going back thousands of years. But then there's also this element of human psychology. I found a really interesting study from a few years ago about the fact that having like a very acute stress event in your life, whether it's a breakup, a divorce, a death in the family, something like that, a personal hospitalization, makes people much more likely to make drastic changes in their appearance afterward. So what you see is people trying to like sort of assert some kind of control over their future through their bodies, through hair color through cutting bangs, things like that. Breakup bangs are like a cliche for a reason. That's really something a lot of people do to react (laughs) to that kind of trauma. And then you've just got an entire nation of people who have been through an acute stress event together at the same time and who are going to be sort of emerging from that through vaccination in like over a relatively short period of time. You know, everybody's getting them at different times, but it's within a few months of each other. So you've got this sort of not just pent up demand from not being able to access these services for over a year for some people, but you've also got this brand new fresh demand of people being like, that was awful. This past year was so bad. I just want to take some control of something that I can control and feel like I can go confidently into the future. And for a lot of them, that's going to be something about their physical appearance. Amanda Mull, staff writer at The Atlantic. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media 
at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.